Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. Thanks for listening to this real conversation. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit Hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back. Thanks for letting me grab some some lunch. In fact, I, I think everything about that lunch was inflationary. There were everything in there. I think there was some palm oil in there. Cheese prices were up eight percent last week. It's what everybody's talking about. Grant, welcome to uh, welcome to the summit, and thank you for making the time. But uh, I, I'm inflating. I feel like I'm inflating personally. And just you know, I could, if you could see my belly, you would believe that. Um, what do you think, man? Do you, do you spend enough time talking about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, I don't think any of us have a choice at the moment. You know, every for the last year, every conversation I've had has at some point seemingly gotten around to inflation and deflation. Um, you know, it's the it's the it's the one thing that, that uh, on the podcasts I've been doing um, has mm-hmm. just raised its head again and again and again, and, and for good reason, right? Because we've we've had we've had forty years of of deflationary tailwinds. Um, and I'm in the middle of writing about this right now. And if that does change, and look, it's not certain that it will, but with every day that goes past and every, uh, you know, crazy rise in, in, in costs and bottlenecks that, that transpires, the odds increase that it will change. Um, people have a massive set of decisions to make. You know, everybody's portfolio is set up for a deflationary environment. Um, and if we go into an inflationary environment, it flips everything on its head. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's... The, the one thing that everybody has to have a view on and has to think through right now and have a plan for if it, if it does turn out to not be transitory as the geniuses at the Federal Reserve assure us that it is, <laughs> although their confidence seems to be wavering a little bit on that recently. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point and it's just uh, the fact of the matter is if you don't have a point of view on inflation, you're going to have a tough time running assets or, or having a view on how to protect and preserve your own Net wealth. I think one of the more interesting ones uh, where I had the notes on your uh, podcast was with Sam Zell, I believe. And he, uh, is that correct? Am I remembering the right one? Where yeah. you had a conversation with him, where he, he digs into, I mean, for, I actually think that at this point, trending inflation, it's almost nonsensical. If you've either been long of it for the last you know, year and a half or you're, you're not. So from my perspective, that's not really the debate, you know, when to get out of it and when uh, the behavioral realities of inflation. That's what Zell talked about, which is, you know, the, the, the psychology of inflation, inflation expectations. We have plenty of charts on those, but w- what did you think about that? Well, you know, he talks about, about it being a mindset, and he's absolutely right. You know, inflation mm-hmm. is a mindset. Um, and that's really, the, that's the tipping point, is when it becomes entrenched in people's expectations that inflation is not going to be transitory, or if it is going to be, you know, not 2%, not 3%, but 5% and 6% and, and potentially keep climbing, that's when people adjust their, their behaviors. And, and once you reach that stage, that's not something that the Fed telling them it's only going to be for a couple of months is going to change. That's not the thing that, you know, a, 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 sh- a small rise in interest rates is going to get under control. So, you know, this explains why there's there's so much time and energy devoted to jawboning about uh, expectations and, you know, the, why you see the, the word transitory used so often, although noticeably in the September uh, Fed 
minutes, it wasn't mentioned once, um, down from, I think, nine times in March and six times in June. September, the word transitory wasn't used once, which is a, an interesting kind of peek behind the curtain. But, you know, Sam's point was was well taken. He's, you know, he's a man who's been, um, you know, he's always announced as as investor, billionaire investor Sam Zell, but he's a businessman. He's been running businesses for 50-odd years now. And... Um, and operating them and so he you know he understands this from a from a business practitioner standpoint not just in the in in from the perspective of financial assets Mm -hmm. and it's completely different you know if you run a company uh inflation is a major problem for you particularly if you if you can't pass those costs on to your consumer and with the the stresses in the economy post pandemic even though all these stimmy checks make things look optically perhaps better than they are the pricing power that that uh, producers have over consumers is is very small right now, and so uh, this is something that companies all, all around the world need to have a plan for, and and so do investors. Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, just trying to dig up the charts while you're saying that. I mean, the best part about these conversations for me is that it triggers something that's locked in my thick skull somewhere. But um, on, on you know the Fed not talking about it, and 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 Powell actually reducing it to almost a scarecrow. At the at the Jackson Hole meeting, remember when he he used used car prices, which is such a small yeah. component yeah. of headline CPI. You know, uh, new cars is a two bagger on that, and they're inflating. You know, as far as the eye can see, uh, just to put one point in in the in, in the coffin if you need that, uh, or one nail. But slide 37 on their own nowcast, it's ripping, right? I mean, on their own surveys mm-hmm. on slide 38, which is rent price expectations, which Sam Zell would ab- absolutely care about in any real estate investor. You know, these, this is the New York Fed survey of consumer expectations. And know how far back that goes and the nothingness yeah. that it did before. I mean, for so where are we at on that? We can get into the bean counting and why, if you get rent right or you get home price inflation right because it leads rent, you know, how it actually and almost is mathematically impossible to get inflation much below three and a half to five uh, anytime soon. You know, what is it about the Federal Reserve? Is it negligence? Is it just you know uh, political? Is it ignorance? I mean, what is it? You know, look, we, we've we've gone backwards and forwards about that for a long time, and I, I think the simple truth is it doesn't at this point it doesn't really matter. You know, what what's happening now <laughs> is um, is is a, a really a battle for control. You know, we we have a financial system that is spluttering. It's 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 at or near the end of its useful life, and when those things happen. Things tend to go wrong. You know, it's if you're driving a car and you get a blowout, the first thing you've got to try and do is get control of the car again. And that's really what we're seeing here, whether it's financial control of of markets that aren't necessarily doing what uh, the Federal Reserve needs them to do in response to policy and response to uh, the, the kind of jawbone they do, whether it's government control over uh, spending, whether it's government control over the population, whether it's government control over anything. We have a system which is reaching the end of its life. And so this has become a battle for control. You know, you, t- you showed that, that chart, Keith, of, uh, of rents, and, and it's interesting because I, I know when you were talking to Ben Hunt yesterday, you mentioned Dave Rosenberg, a mutual friend of ours. And, um, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Rosie. And Rosie came on uh, the podcast with, with Steph Pombay and I and talked about this and was adamant that, that deflation is still the problem. Um, and one of the points he made was until you get rent inflation, rent, uh, really rent inflation, uh, serious rent inflation. This is nothing to even talk about. You know, we've seen Zillow are talking about 10, 11 percent inflation in, in in rents across the board now, and and one by one, these kind of outliers that 
the, the people who remain on the deflationary train have been pointing out as the things that we really need to focus on before there's any chance that we're going to get sticky inflation. One by one, they're kind of falling by the wayside now. Mm-hmm. So while it's still not baked in the cake that that inflation is a given, the longer this goes on, and when you see you know 8% PPI prints uh, and CPI prints in the high fives, maybe low sixes, when you see German CPI at 30-year high, you know there's a country that's very sensitive to that, and you see all the... Uh, crazy stuff we're seeing in energy and net gas up 120 odd percent uh, year to date and oil up 70 percent year to date. Um, and that's before the winter gets started. The, the major inputs for inflation are all proving to be very, very sticky in terms mm-hmm. of price rises. So I, I think that rent is an important, uh, you know, it's the shelter is the biggest component of the CPI. Um, so as you say, if, if you get shelter inflation, it's very, very difficult to get a low CPI print. What's going to be interesting yeah. is is if these things carry on, what is what are the words going to come out of uh, the Eccles building? You know, what are they going to say to try and change that mindset that Sam Zell spoke about? Because it's it's not easy to do. It, it's easy to do when you're forecasting the stuff and it's in the twos and you're worried about it might get to two and you can talk about it running hot. When it's at five, um, it's a lot harder to, to change that mindset. So I, I think we're at a very critical point here uh, in terms of how the data comes through and how the Fed manage changing expectations on the part of consumers. Yeah, the, um, so let's unpack that. So on the one side, you have the permanent inflationistas versus the deflationistas. I've been neither. Um, I think if you want to make money over time, you trade the cycle of inflation and deflation and you'll do much better. Um, and the data that, you know, to, to, to Grant's point, the slide that we used yesterday was slide 47, and we showed a now cast of every American city um, MSA that is showing rent inflation on the order of, in Tampa Bay's yeah. case, we called out 30%. But I mean, and, that, and those are August numbers, which are lower than the September numbers that we just got. But um, so that's on one hand. Like, I, I actually, at this point, Grant, I, I, I know, you know, we know what certain um, publications are going to say about inflation, what certain publications are going to say about deflation. If you want to be in the deflation camp, you cite Lacey Hunt. It has nothing to do with having respect or no respect for individuals. It's just like our job in the market is to get inflation or deflation right. And that's, you know, so, so the, on the other side, I'm more interested in the cover your ass, you know, exercise of politicians who are, A, always late and lagging on inflation or deflation. Um, and now, you know, to your point, with a third of the CPI being rent, it's unequivocally going to be not transitory in the next six months, which for a lot of people, I actually think in the next six days, a lot of people struggle with what to do with this market, yeah. never mind six yeah. months from now. So how do you think that that's going to play out at the Fed and the and policy? Do you have a view on that? Well, it's interesting. You said a couple of things there that, that, that caught my ear. The first thing was about you know, trading the cycles and being neither a deflationist or an inflationist. And I think the advantage we've had is that for 40 years, you haven't really had to do that. You know, you, you could have yeah, been could a, be deflation. a deflationist, yeah. right, yeah. for four That's decades. Right. And you, you had a few periods where you were yeah. kind of, you know, loosening your tie a little bit. But you've been right. But what's happened in the last year, um, you know, and Lacey Hunt has been the most stoic, the most staunch about that thesis for the longest time. You know, and he remains there with, with one caveat, which I'll, which I'll come to shortly. Um, but you've seen... People like another good friend of mine, Russell Napier. You know, and we had Russell and uh, and Lacey on the Endgame podcast, Bill Fleckenstein and I, back to back weeks um, several months ago, and um, it, it was fascinating. You know, Lacey, as I said, remains staunch in his belief that deflation is the problem. Russell, who has been in that camp for a couple of decades now, 
is now switched 180 degrees into the inflation camp, um, again, for reasons which I'll, I'll kind of parrot in a second. So we, we are definitely at an inflection point where after that long, long period of, of being able to stay in one camp and, and for the most part have a pretty smooth ride, we're in some choppy waters now. Um, you know, Lacey's point was absolutely adamant that this is, this is deflation is the problem you have to uh, worry about, except for one thing. And he talked about the fact that if the Fed um, was suddenly given the uh, power to spend as opposed to just lend, yeah. i.e. they can turn their balance sheet into, into spending power, <laughs> he said, then we would get very rapidly, we'd get high inflation. And Russell's point, and the reason Russell stepped off the deflationary train and, and very staunchly onto the train going the other direction was the, the, the bank credit guarantees that, that were put in place uh, in the teeth of the pandemic last year, where the, the governments have basically said, look, we're going to give these loans and we're going to um, get the money out into the system and essentially we'll forgive these, a lot of these loans. We had the, the bounce back loan in the UK. We had the, the uh, CARES Act in the US. And right across the kind of developed world, we saw these bank credit guarantees put in there. And Russell's, Russell's uh, view of that was, look, this this We've, we've always had this massive debt, but it, we've had a lot of debt without them being able to create more money. Now they've been able to create more money. And, and the two of them, they're not quite the same, but there is a link that connects them with, with potentially a central bank digital currency that allows this final leap to happen. And mm-hmm. if, if we see what's going on with the central bank digital currencies and, um, uh, Doomberg on Twitter put out a great piece about this. Um, uh, I think it's called Dystopia Coin. I think he put it out this morning, just connecting some of those dots. And, and it's absolutely true. If we do get a Fed coin, which uh, again, if we come back to that battle for control, nothing gives the government more control than some kind of digital currency. You know, this is they can absolutely direct where, how, and when it gets spent. So if we are in a battle for control, as I suspect, that is one of the ultimate controls they can exert. If that happens. It's very likely that you'll see people like Lacey Hunt after 40 years finally say, okay, uh, you know, cry uncle, wave the white flag and say, this is what I was worried about. This is the problem where the Fed can start spending money and inflation is now out the bottle. And, and at that point, kind of all bets are off. Yeah, the, um, the as is always the case, you're, you're, you're speaking across big cycles with specificity. And if somebody's listening that, that isn't, um, it, it doesn't have the cycles emblazoned in their thick skull like I might. Um, you know, well, why is Lacey Hunt you know, famous for deflation? Because, A, he started making the call and came into this business. Like, we are all so lucky. I mean, we're largely a function of when we come into this business. Don't forget that if yeah. you're a good analyst, you have to make the call when God put you on the earth to make the call, right? I mean, he didn't put you on the earth to make the call. It's the time that you are analyzing. So in 1981, obviously the 10-year yield was, I believe, at 15.8 percent or yep. thereabouts, 15.3 percent. And from 1981 till 2021, okay, voila. I mean, it's but there have been plenty of inflations in between. Again, that in this day and age, for me, doing what I do, that's that's not nearly enough. I can't park it and say, here's my 40-year call. That's not what I do. Uh, I think it's much more engaging and interesting to be fighting the fighting the fight on on inflation, reflation, deflation, disinflation every day because you can make a lot of money doing it. So let's just start with that. Um, but on the let's just say we get so I'll, I'll I mean I'm going to sell all my commodities at some point and say look we're going to have a disinflation. You know that's what my nowcast says against Q2 of next year. So it's not like I'm going to turn in the world's greatest deflationista. It's just that my nowcast, which you can already see what I'm going to do, but it's when I do it that matters, on slide 15, it's just going to step down like 200 basis points. 
So when everyone gets used to, and that's my point about uh, about the Fed, like once they, everyone agrees to agree it's going to be five. Don't forget that those Q1 numbers, which are going to be actually front running my own model, they'll be above five. Um, you know, we'll be at some point in, in those numbers will be at some point February, March, April of next year. Right, so we still have. I still have a couple careers from now, between now and going making the switch. But when I make that move, the biggest risk to me is what you just said. If I sell, yeah. if I sell all my commodities, buy treasuries and mm-hmm. buy gold, which is exactly what I'll do. Then I got to deal with MMT on the other side of my ass. That's a major issue. Like that. That's an issue no one in 40 years or in my 22 years has had to deal with. MMT digital coins, you know, I, I think what you said is that those are those will if they'll even turn Lacey Hunt, then they must be inflationary. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's the, the the problem here is is when you reach an inflection point like this, is is it's, it becomes much more important to get the right call, right? Um, and whether that's a short term call or a long term call, that the fact that so much of this is psychological. It yeah. makes it really, really difficult to, to look at the data and forecast inflation and what will happen based on the data numbers. Because, you know, look, the, the, the CPI numbers have had a, a somewhat tenuous uh, relationship with reality for the longest time now. I mean, every adjustment that's been made to them over the years, and there have been plenty, has never, ever resulted in a higher CPI number, right? They're always brought in to lower the CPI number. So the Fed have, have kind of tried to get the lowest CPI number they can to, 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 to ease the burden of COLA um, adjustments to social security payments, etc. Now they find themselves uh, at a point where they've been talking for years now that we're going to get to 2%, which they've made as hard for themselves as they possibly can by the way they've set up the game. Um, and, and so being held to that 2% on the upside has led them to have to overshoot it. Then they started talking about, well, we're going to let it run hot for a while. <laughs> okay, but, but that again, they didn't talk about how long that would be and how long the average over time would be. But when you're trying to make these calls, Keith, you're, you're dealing with psychology here. You're dealing with not only the psychology of consumers, but also uh, producers uh, in terms of what they think is going to happen to their input costs over time. Do they start front loading to hedge those? And you're talking about the psychology of people listening to the Federal Reserve, who, you know, again, you, you've got to say that their credibility as fragile as it's been over the years in terms of if you look at their calls and how often they've got them right which is as close to zero as you can as you can get um as that credibility goes it means that when they do start to try and talk people down from the roof people listen to them even less so you know whichever way this goes we're in a very dangerous point right right here right now and and for investors again i've said this before what what we're talking about here is don't just a assume that the past 40 years is going to continue. That's a very dangerous assumption to make, particularly when rates have gone down to zero, uh, indicating that, that they've kind of reached the end of that journey. B, don't assume that it's going to go straight to inflation. You have to make inflation hedges for you know, hyperinflation because that's, again, a, a dangerous assumption to make. Understand you're in choppy waters and look at what can hurt you. You know, Being long a whole bunch of bonds uh, down here, and if you look at um, Russell Napier spoke about this period between 1942 uh, and 1951, uh, post World War II, 
when when the, the Fed capped the yield curve. And Stephanie yeah. Kelton refers to this in the, the deficit myth and talks about what a great policy it was and how we kept the, 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 the yield curve nicely capped and it worked. So therefore, why wouldn't it work next time? And as Russell pointed out, there's just a couple of tiny little points that weren't mentioned. One being that the that the country had uh, capital controls, they had rationing, they had uh, price caps, and they had capital controls. So yes, you can keep the yield curve down if you put all that stuff in, if you force people to hold government bonds, or if you commit to an unlimited expansion of the Fed's balance sheet, all of which are massively inflationary. So it, it's possible that they could make good on this and say, well, we're going to cap the yield curve and we, and we will keep low rates and we won't get high inflation. And people sit back and listen to that and go, well, that would be a perfect outcome. And I guarantee you it would not be a perfect outcome because no. there are other things that will have to be put in place to, to make those two strategies effective. And they will uh, result in you being mandated in what you have to hold and it will be, it will be treasury bonds. And Russell pointed out that, 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 that a similar period in, in the UK uh, where um, people who've been forced to hold bonds lost 85% of their purchasing power. So we're at a very, very dangerous juncture here that you need to have a plan for, and you, and you really need to read some history uh, and understand how periods like this have, have gone in the past and what the potential things you're going to have to solve for, because they're not simple and they're not straightforward and they're not small issues that we've had to deal with in the past 40 years. What's interesting about that, too, that economic outcome, you know, if we push push out time and space, that to me is what I call quad three stagflation. You know, currently I'm long quad two, which is a reacceleration post-COVID for, um, which is a big nominal environment. But if we actually were to get into that, uh, into that economic zone, 1970s style stagflation, which gave birth to the 15.8 percent ten-year yield in 1981. Uh, you you can cap you can cap whatever you want in terms of bond yields, but that doesn't mean that the world's going to go your way, you know, economically or asset management-wise or otherwise. I mean, that's just that's just kind of a crazy thing to think. Um, back to the point though that you made on the Fed's never really seen it coming. What's interesting to me was this, and we put it in. Um, you know, first of all, slide 39 and 40, guys, just show them quickly. Uh, to Grant's point, it's a third of the CPI rent. Where is it now? Where is it going? We all know where it's going. It's We're just front-running our own model. So that's how I get to 5 6% headline inflation is that they just take the shelter component up because home price inflation leads that. That's why we're doing every city like I showed. Um, but on slide 41, this is, um, you know, this is kind of nutty, is that they already have the white paper done. Right? This is telling you what I just said, which, we, which we've said since the beginning of Hedge Eye Time, which is OER, or, or owner's equivalent rent, is front-ran by home price inflation. So now even the Fed knows that, but the Fed doesn't talk about that. Like, what the hell's going on? I mean, this is, this is suggesting that a third of the CPI goes to 7 or 8%. Okay? A third of the CPI goes with a high probability, which we agree with. So what what is going on there? Um, and I, I understand that Kaplan, you know, he, he he left for other reasons. But you know, how does the head of the Federal Reserve have this in his back pocket with one of his senior guys in one of the senior offices, for that matter, and not talk about it and talk about used car prices? Well, look again. You have to you have to understand the overarching theme here is is that control I've talked about, right? It's 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 control and keeping things together at this point. So. The Fed has to have, um, you know, kind of a united front 
out in public, which is why you're hearing this transitory word being uttered so often, um, and by so many people. This is this is the narrative, right? We have to we have to convince people that this is transitory. We have to stop them worrying that these price rises are going to continue into the indefinite future, and they will have to mitigate those by front loading and, and chasing prices and chasing goods off the shelves, particularly in a time of bottlenecks and supply chain issues and all the things that we've seen. Um, so you have to have that united face. If, if, if one of the key weapons in your arsenal is the power of jawboning, you have to present a united front. And it's interesting that today, I think it was Bullard, I'm not sure, one of the Fed talking heads came out and was ever so gently starting to talk about uh, you know, the CPI being higher than they thought for a longer period of time. But if you listen to the language, it was very much, well, yeah, you know, it's up and, and it may, it may persist for a little while, but, but, you know, don't worry, it's still going to come down. So you, you can already see, uh, a change in what they feel they're trying to battle against now. It's not a question of convincing people of a story anymore, which it was with the whole, we're going to let it run hot. We're going to convince you that it's going to go up to 2% and maybe 3%. Now it's a case of we've got to dissuade you of a notion that it's going to be five, six for a year, or maybe go to seven, eight, nine, ten. Who knows? So now they're in. Now they're playing defense. Uh, playing offense is one thing, and saying here's what we want to condition you into thinking: a, it's transitory; b, it's going to run hot for a while. But here's what we want you to think, and we're going to keep hammering this to you so that we get you on board with us and you're thinking the right things. Now it's a case of, okay. We don't want you thinking this. Here's how you should be thinking about it. But to do that, you've got to you've got to disavow some of these notions and everything that they're seeing in the grocery store, um, particularly as we come into you know the coldest part of the year when people's electricity bills and, and power bills are going to go up. Um, particularly when we're coming into in the US, here, we're a month or so away from Thanksgiving when people want to go out and spend a lot of money on food for big family gatherings if they're allowed to have them in their home. I think I think the easiest thing to have thirty thousand people around for Christmas lunch. So that's okay apparently, but um, <laughs> but you know we're we're going into that part of the year where the costs that people have to pay are going to become very very apparent to them. There's no there's no stealth about this, and so again you've got to try and find a way to preempt that and, and get the idea in people's heads that, oh, yeah, I've had an expensive couple of months of, of power bills, but someone told me it was going to be 5% for the next few months. And then that's a very difficult trick to pull off yeah, because that does people, not work. Are, people are struggling enough already. That, yeah, does, exactly that right. does not work. And and I think, you know, all, given all my faults, which are manifest um, in doing this job or trying to, trying to get things less, uh, less wrong uh, than right, you know, growing up in a family where that's that's reality, like where your the things we've talked about, your rent or mortgage, food and gas in the car, that's it. I mean, anything that's left after that is a bonus. Um, I, I just don't think that Wall Street speaks that language. Never has, never will. But it doesn't no. change the massive dis level of disgust and distrust that people already have of the government. Never mind when they know bloody well like this is like i mentioned cheese at the beginning like in the chipotle thing and i'm and even i'm 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 full blown loaded to the gills almost anything you can buy that's liquid in futures and options contracts etf or otherwise in commodities cocoa things i've never bought before just cuz it's just, right. it was so obvious but i'm mad at myself cuz i don't own the cheese that we need to own to your point for thanksgiving or for you know our you said christmas lunch but our christmas eve and uh, good irish catholic faith i mean i'm going to have to pay yeah, more for it. i should have just bought you know everything i was going to buy and i didn't do it and i and i knew about it wait what about everybody else i mean this is going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch the behavioral component of this 
And um, what's the only thing I'm certain of is that the Federal Reserve is going to look like that, that they're li- they've lied to people, and that's a that's a that's a that's a major problem in addition to the issues that they already have in terms of insider trading or front running or not. What do you think? Do you, do you think that they are at the point? Like a lot of us, I'm a Fed critic, obviously, but um, I think for the right reasons at this point, you can't analyze anything, and you're you're front running with your own PAs. I mean. If the Fed was ever at the wrong spot in terms of public distress where I got them, it's now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. Um, and it's interesting because you know you, you talk about what well, you talked about there. Wall Street uh, isn't the real world, and so Wall Street tends to look at. There are two problems. One, we tend to look at everything as a as a data point and as a chart, and we yeah. extrapolate them, and we look at we look at the pictures, and we try and figure out where things are going. But it, they're numbers on charts. Yeah, one of the, one of the things about um, Wall Street is that it's provided people with a standard of living that means that the, the the kind of marginal inflation is something that they notice certainly, but it's not going to change their behaviours necessarily. Right. Um, you know, the, the higher echelons of Wall Street, you know, that that super yacht goes up ten percent. Maybe you end up not buying another one. But but <laughs> in terms of grocery, you're going to go, you're going to feel the pinch and go, wow, that, that, this was really expensive this year. But it's not going to change behaviours. However, that changes very quickly. Uh, you know, as as you move down the socioeconomic curve, it becomes a huge problem. We, we're talking about food here, right? We're talking about food and shelter, the yeah. basics and power. And so, um, you know, the Fed find themselves at a place where do we do we want to be looked upon as lying to the public, or do we want to be looked upon as incompetent? And we got it wrong, blatantly yeah. wrong. I mean, it's a tough choice. Well, it's I mean, a tough choice. I mean, it, it, but this flipped in the night. And again, I'm not saying it's the 1970s. I'm saying that there's a flip coming because there's there is no data to support the prior premise. Zero. You know. So, and it's not just the Fed. I mean, I was just looking up this guy's name. This guy Brian Deese, who made you know, plenty of um, retweet waves on my handle when he said it. He's the head of uh, the National Economic Council at this point, younger guy, um, he's like, well, if you back all that stuff out that you just said, Grant, including, you know, th- including food, there's no inflation. What are you talking about? But he's a, <laughs> he, 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 you know, he's a Democrat. Obviously, he's, he's he, you know, it's, 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 but, but there was a flip, right? I mean, this guy looks like he's unequivocally partisan, obviously, but, you know, unaware maybe and, and willing to say anything. But in the 1970s, it changed, right? Like, you, you know, the same guy with the same job uh, in the Nixon administration was a Republican instead of a Democrat. And I don't know if it matters what, what the difference is, would call inflation a hydra-headed monster that will not go away. So that's what I'm wondering. Like, is that actually going to be what these guys have to flip to say within six months? I doubt it, but that would be interesting. Well, think about it. Uh, it what it comes down to are votes, ultimately, right? That's what all this comes down to. And... Um, and if inflation is the thing that is potentially causing the most people to flip their vote, then it will have to be tackled. And it will be called a hydra-headed monster. And it will be something we have to get under control right. because you're pounding for people that you're hurting the most. And that's one of the big dangers here, not coming from the Fed, but coming from administration. And, you know, with the with the Powell reconfirmation hearing come out and all the, the, the stuff coming out about – Kaplan and Rosengren and uh, Clarida and all, all the stuff that's going on, which, look, any of us that have spent any time in this business know whether they can technically do what they did or not, it's wrong. We all know it's wrong. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not morally right, and they should and do know better, frankly, right? There's no argument about that whatsoever. And they can point to the regulator and say, well, technically, no, bullshit. I'm afraid that's just not right. Yeah. But um, but when, when, you've, when you've got these 
these problems and you've got an administration that is desperately trying to bring in a much more progressive agenda they they're, they're flirting with MMT they want to you know they're looking at three and a half trillion dollar stimulus check you have an opportunity here to remake the Federal Reserve in the way that the Trump administration remade the Supreme Court and I would argue that having uh, the the right Federal Reserve Board is way more important uh, particularly in the short term than having mm. the right Supreme Court these aren't lifetime appointments no. but you get the right guys in at the right time and you'll be amazed at what kind of progressive agendas you can get through through the Federal Reserve that, um, you that, will need to that I have not thought of that at all but if you want to be a real conspiracy theorist then they all knew all along that they were going to put up their hand and say I'm out so you get those people in well, look, let, let's let, let's not even call it a conspiracy. Let's not even <laughs> label it a conspiracy. Let, let's just say it's pure fluke. It doesn't really matter. The timing matter. is either yeah. either either well chosen or it's very helpful. It doesn't matter which. <laughs> yeah, it's opportunity. But you do have an opportunity now potentially to to stack the to stack the board with ducks. Wow, um, that's a good point. Really good point. Look, but that will that will change everything in terms of inflation. You can expect a inflation to pick up much faster and b the measures that they have to take on the other end of it to get it under control to become that much more draconian. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Like, I mean, think about what the Fed could look like, you know, within less than a year from now. You could, you, you'd be yeah. Lyle Brainerd instead of Powell, joined at the hip with, you know, the Treasury, with who she worked with prior, Yellen, which yep. is Janet Yellen. Yep. And then instead of Rosengren and Kaplan, you have people that are like, oh, I would never trade. I'm doing this for the better good of humanity. Yeah. Like this, yeah. <laughs> this is, oh God! Oh. I mean, it's 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 a it's a strong possibility at this point. And like I said, you know, I, th I think people realize now. People in in government realize that having a, a compliant Fed is arguably the single biggest tailwind you can possibly have. Yeah. So you know, maybe we should we should just turn the Eccles building into a giant dove loft and, and fill it full of them. But uh, I suspect that's going to be the thing that we have to watch out for. Well, I mean, it, 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 I, I, I don't think that there's a chance, and I certainly wouldn't put any money on it, even as an outside chance that Powell is going to be back in his seat, given what just happened with, you know, three of his senior guys getting nailed, and him signing off on the investigation. He should investigate himself. He got the, he, he yeah. bailed out the, his own position in municipal bonds, and then was asked about it. I don't know if you saw that the other day, under oath, and he just waved it off, like, yeah, I thought, yeah. you know, that I called compliance, and they said it was fine. But it wasn't fine, Jay. It was and, like, and he knows it, that. He knows, look, Keith. I mean, he knows that, right? This is we we are we are in the post consequence world, unfortunately, right? That's what we inhabit now. And and the, the the kind of brazenness of all these guys is 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 rooted in years of there being no consequences for any kind of malfeasance. You know, you, you, on the same day you read about Kaplan and Rosengren, you read about a Citibank trader having to disgorge six times the profits he made from an insider trade where he made, you know, 36 grand or something. Um, it's laughable. But it people laugh. in power, yeah. people in power just have that have that brazenness now that, you know what, there won't be any, and if, and if I get caught, nothing's going to happen to me. Um, you know, I'm too important, I'm too powerful, and I can just brazen it out and I can resign and, you know, go on my way. I mean, the fact that Kaplan and these guys were trading like this when one, I forget which one, I think it's Kaplan. It's already supposedly a billionaire and he's trying to make a couple of extra million <laughs> by trading in and out. I mean, it's it's a really bad look at it, the very best. Right? I, I thought that I said this yesterday with Ben, but I mean, with Ben Hunt, it's like, you know, it's just the way, it, just the fact that he couldn't find it within himself to say, I'm sorry, I, did, I was wrong. Yeah. 
Like let's just right. let, let's just start with some leadership qualities like that in this world. You know, just apologize when you're wrong. Say I shouldn't have done it. But that that of course isn't going to happen because there's no consequences. But it does nope. take a certain kind of a human being to not acknowledge their mistakes and not try to evolve every day and just be a better person. I, I just, yeah, I guess that's just not, you're, you're not going to be in political office these days if that's you. But um, well, yeah, it takes the kind of person who would do it in the first place is yeah. the simple truth. No, there right? you go. They're the same person. Well, that's what I always say with people who steal other people's things or do bad things. It's not like they're always, uh, uh, you know, really, you know, feeling bad about what they did. It's just they're upset that they got caught. I mean, it's, um, yeah. you know, it's what it is. All right. We have some uh, time for some questions here, and, and, and uh, I want to get into that. Here's a great question that I haven't asked you. Uh, obviously, it's the top-ranked question um, uh, from Paul. If the relation between gold and real yields is still valid, why... Um, why, why does gold perform this environment of an inflation scare? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, anytime you, you ask a question about gold that, that starts with the word why, <laughs> you might as well just go, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things, right? It, it, it's, it's not a short-term asset. I mean, this is a 6,000-year-old asset, right? Mm -hmm. And it tends not to do in the short term what you think it'll do, when you think it'll do it. But say, if you look over, over long periods of time, extended periods of time, um, it does. You know, if, you, if you've owned gold since 2000, for example, when it became clear post the dot-com bubble that, that the, 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 the modus operandi going forward of the Fed was going to be just cut rates, cut rates, cut rates. If you just started buying gold then as a protection, it's done phenomenally well. Uh, you know, until I think this recent blast top, it was outperforming the S&P for those last for those last 20 years. And I think 20 years is a is a fair. Um, time frame to pick and everyone can be accused of cherry picking time frames which is which absolutely fine so I, I think if you're in gold as a trading vehicle that's that's completely different if you're looking to trade gold and you're looking at the charts you're looking at the technicals that's one thing um I, I would suggest you spend more time looking at the the positioning on the comex than anything else if you want to trade gold um look at the look at the speculators uh, look at the commercials and non-commercial positioning that that's to me if you were a trader that's arguably the biggest tip you can have but if you are looking to own gold to protect your portfolio, then you're, you're going to kill yourself looking at it on a daily basis and saying, why hasn't it protected my portfolio today? Yeah. Because there are going to be days when it doesn't. Um, but if you say over the next, if, you, if, you, if, if everything we've talked about, you hold some store and you think, you know, what, okay, inflation is a problem that I think I need to worry about for the next 10 years, then... I feel very confident based on all the history I've looked at that over that 10 year period, gold will do exactly what you want it to and protect the purchasing power of your portfolio. Now, that doesn't mean you put 100% in gold. That would be crazy to do with anything. Um, but if you, if you want to insulate your portfolio against that loss of spending power, you know, look at, look at what it did in the 80s, which is again a little bit disingenuous because it had been fixed until 71 at $35. So it, it definitely had some kind of coil to it when it went into that <laughs> run into the 1980s. But gold is not uh, something that's going to protect your portfolio every day. It's, a, it's, a, it's an insurance policy that you, you, you kind of have over a longer cycle. So understand if you want to trade it or you want to own it for, for portfolio protection and then it, adjust your kind of your way of looking at it accordingly. Yeah, the um, yeah the why is always interesting. I'm always focused on the when. Um, there is no why. Yeah, there the, is no why. We can get very meta when we go talk to gold. But, but we got the the second top rank question is how. So instead of why, how? How do you explain gold down with commodities and inflation at multi-year highs? I mean, it, it, to me, it's really actually a simple answer. It's called quad two. 
they're they're really you know quad two pulverizes the relative strength of gold relative to the other opportunities because in quad two you can buy anything literally you can buy anything right. and that's that's the point so if you understand and it's it's the one quad out of four where real yields go up and gold does not like rising real interest rates so the best time to be long like where I'll really pack it in on long you know GLD or paper gold I always hold my physical gold I mean just like my wine and you know my my kids I mean they they, just, they don't um, you know, God willing everybody just it all stays with me but the but risk managing it really to get paid in gold isn't about just inflation you know, stagflation are, are the best periods to long gold, be long gold, which we call quad three. So that um, quad three, obviously, even in 2011, you had that, uh, and that's where gold went to its most recent all-time high. So I, I do think that all of our work um, empirically on back-tested gold against economic quads on a two-by-two two model growth and inflation gives a pretty simple answer. We're on the shorter-term you know, cycle and risk managing of gold. That's that's my. Do you have any thoughts on that, by the way? Yeah, well, I just, I, I, it all makes sense, but I'd just add something else in that we've, we've just spent this last 30, 40 minutes talking about this mindset of inflation and how they're battling it to take hold. And, and gold going up in an inflationary environment is, again, a mindset thing. People start to think, oh, my God, I'm going to lose purchasing power. I yeah. want to own gold. Look at what the central banks are doing. Look at what we've talked about, how they're looking at all the data. We've, talk, we've shown the, the Dallas Fed showing us that the OER is going to go up 7%. They're not talking about that, but that's what their data is saying. Um, central banks around the world are buying gold hand over fist. Uh, last year was the biggest uh, one-year accumulation of gold in central bank history, as far as I can remember. I think it's, it's certainly in the last sort of 40, 50 years post Bretton Woods. So the central banks are protecting their own balance sheets against, against loss of purchasing power. Um, the public is not in that mindset yet, but but it's 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 tending to move that way. And, and once the public starts stockpiling canned food because they're worried about price increases, they will at that point, I'm sure, start thinking, well, how do I protect my purchasing power for if the prices are going to go up? And historically, gold has always done that. So the fact that it hasn't yet, um, again, I think speaks to we're on that precipice of how this mindset can get entrenched and if it does to sam zell's point if the mindset gets entrenched i feel very confident that you'll see gold uh, start to reflect that all right we have uh this one you and i could have a whole we could actually have a whole seminar if we had neil here uh but this is the third rank question from rich uh grant as someone who knows neil howe's work uh, Neil Howe, who's my colleague, love that guy uh what do you personally think of the fourth turning and where we're, where we are uh, in that cycle. Well, I, th I, th I think if you've if you've read Neil's fantastic book, then you recognise everything we're seeing. Um, and, and again, <laughs> it's crazy. there there isn't. It's, I mean, it's, it's uncanny. I mean, it really is. It's, it's and for those of you who, who may not have read it, then you know Neil and Bill Strauss did just a remarkable piece of work with the fourth turning, and uh, you, you can you can still get it. I've, I've, it's not that easy to buy in bookshops, but you can definitely get it online. But um, if if you've read it, you, you'll it's almost like a, one of those maps that says you are here and, and we're right in the middle of that fourth turning. And there's no, there's no set time period. It's supposed to be you know, roughly 20 odd years of this, of this thing. Mm -hmm. um, but you will recognize it with, with, uh, you know, the, the loss of faith institutions and, you know, a disunified public and all the signs are there. So, so believing that we're in it or, or whereabouts we're in it is really not the point. Understanding the kind of the, the full fourth turning cycle. Where does the fourth turning take us? Yeah, is the thing to understand. Where where does this lead to? 
and it you know it leads to uh, uh, all kinds of breakdowns in in institutions in society so that's kind of the path we're on um again it's not it's not guaranteed that we end up down there but all the work that neil and bill did uh set out plenty of examples of, of how these things ended up in wars uh they tend to end in wars and if you look around the world right now and you look at the, the saber rattling in, in the South China Sea and the, the Chinese flying the wall planes through the Taiwan Strait again, you can see all this stuff happening. And the reason it happens is because these cycles tend to end the same way with massively over indebted governments looking for a way to get out of a situation that they've put themselves into. And oftentimes that means how do we galvanize the public around us? and stop them worrying about their own individual needs and get them worrying again about the needs of, of the society as a whole. And the best way to do that, is, it's been proven over thousands of years of human history, the best way to do that is to galvanize them against the outside enemy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where we are in the fourth turning is is to be determined by history. But understanding where the fourth turning takes society to is, is really important to understand because it's, you know, it's generally a dark place, but it's a dark place before what is always a very bright door. Yeah, it's um, yeah the the reset, the great reset. First, you have to go through pretty right. much what everything. Uh, and unfortunately, we're we're out of time. Like I said, we could have had had an entire um, uh, half day on that if we had Neil here. And by the way, Neil's got a. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he's in the midst of writing uh, another book, an update to that to that fourth turning. And I and I really yes, am. I'm 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 excited to like. He's obviously keeping it close to his vest. I have no idea what it's going to say on the timing of it all, but I think it, he's more focused, obviously, as he usually is, in terms of, you know, again, the why he, demographically, is, is definitely something he's on top of. So, uh, as always, like, a, a great discussion. We went all over the place, and if everyone had to know why everything's so screwed up, you know, we would probably say the fourth turning anyway. So, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Thanks for your time, Grant. I really enjoyed it, as always, Keith. Thanks for having me. Always great to see uh, Grant Williams. Up next, we have Mike Green. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.